0: Quack, quack, quack. This, okay, last time Oregon and Washington played, a lot of people, a lot of Duck fans, a lot of Husky fans, Pac-12 fans, all were saying this could be the biggest Oregon-Washington game of all time. And there weren't many opposing opinions to that because there's very few times when Oregon is this good and Washington is this good you know, and they play each other, certainly not late. If that game was contested to be the best Oregon-Washington game, then this has to be <laughs> inarguably the most important Oregon-Washington game of all time. And if if this isn't, then it's probably won about a hundred years ago. And, you know, I think college football is even more important now than it was back then. So this is the most important episode of the Quack 12 podcast, I would say, which means my two guests today are oh man, are we lucky to have them? First of all, Hithla Day of Addicted to Quack, the managing editor and film reviewer. How are you doing, Hithlay? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. I uh, I'm in that I, I feel confident in Oregon. But knowing that a loss here would just be so soul-crushing and then so uplifting for our bitter rivals, uh, you know, it it still keeps me a little bit nervous, which is why we had to get an expert for the Huskies to help break down where this team is right now after doing something that no other Pac-12 team has ever done, which is go 12-0. and We got Roman Tomashoff of Sports Illustrated of Locked On Huskies. How you doing, Roman?
1: I'm doing great. And
0: also not, not just any PAC 12 has done PAC 12 team has done
1: any PAC 12 team will ever do. RIP. R.I.P. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) very true. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's been a, a crazy year. I'm, I'm sure you have many thoughts on, you know, Washington no longer being a PAC 12 team or a PAC 12 team, not really existing anymore, but focusing on this game ahead. I mean, uh, what, what's your what's your gut telling you? How are you feeling right now?
1: Ooh, oh, man, I I just I, I'm just as nervous and excited and just every possible emotion under the sun, anxiety, whatever you really want to call it. I'm feeling all those emotions at this time for this game because it's just going to be as wild, as crazy, whatever you want to say. If that's what this game is going to be. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, it's going to be sad for one of us, unfortunately. But uh, uh, Day, I-, I think we should just dive right into this roster well i i wrote my article about
2: washington before oregon played them it was week seven team's sixth game of the season teams have sort of played kind of different back halves of the season since then i think it's been pretty widely observed that washington's been playing a lot of close games the uh, you know i chart all of the games all of them in the entire pac 12 including all of washington's still the numbers look pretty much the same in all the other quadrants of football there's actually there's been a bit of a tick up in the rushing offense, although that is largely an artifact of r- the amazing game against USC. If if you take out the USC game, it's sort of the same rushing performance. Although, like everybody should have the opportunity to run against an Alex Grinch defense at some point, I, I highly recommend the experience. It's quite it's a lot of fun. for the stats,
0: yeah. It really helps. <laughs> yeah, right. the
2: The defense has it's roughly the same. It's a little better in a, in in some areas. It's actually a little bit worse in a couple of areas. Areas, but, it, you know, generally, I, I think it's basically, you know, similar defense. I have some questions about the defense that I'm asking you in the second half of the podcast. But where there's a real like notable change is the passing offense, which is, of course, you know, where. Washington's bread is buttered. Um, you know, it, it is both less, uh, you know, efficient, uh, less explosive, f- fewer yards per play. And Michael Penix, uh, has been less accurate in the, the second, you know, the, the last six games of the season compared to the first six games of the season. Roman, have I said anything in that little recap that you disagree with? No, definitely not. The The one like little piece of insight that I do want to add, especially
1: when we talk about Mike and just kind of what he's been dealing with over the second half of the season. And it's not an excuse because, you know, you can make those all day long. Right. But Mike, is, It's it seems that he's still dealing with some kind of illness or something. We got to talk to him yesterday mm-hmm. after practice and it sounded like he was a little bit congested or something. And it just it, it it's it's weird because it just it doesn't seem like he's been able to shake that over the second half of the season, which can be a little bit frustrating, but there's a, I know there's a whole lot to talk about just over the course of this show. And I'm really excited to get into it.
2: Yeah. I, you know, first of all, you know, uh, my heart goes out to him. I, I I watched him while he was at Indiana, and you know he he went through some a bunch of really horrific injuries. I mean, nobody deserves to I- experience pain or, or physical ailments like that. Definitely not kids who are playing a game for our entertainment. With his history, I mean, just uh, genuinely, my heart goes out to him. Yeah, I think that you're probably right. He's probably experiencing some kind of physical ailment. Um, I don't really know what that is. Uh, it probably doesn't behoove us to speculate. It seems it seems pretty clear that there's something off about his game to some extent. I have never seen a physical ailment that lasts for six weeks that then goes away in the seventh week, you know, like it's what? either e- either, you know, you have it for a little bit and it clears up after a week or two, or you've got it for a while. Um, and so regardless of like what it is, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm expecting to see it on, on Friday or for it to continue, at least in substantial part on Friday. Do do you think that's a reasonable thing to expect to see Roman?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's something where, you know, week after week is Oh, is, is he going to be better this week? Is he going to be better? And it just kind of hasn't been shaken. And there's nothing, especially on a short week that you can say all of a sudden, it's just going to magically go away. If if that were the case, yeah. it, 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 it would be nice that we, that we all were able to share that same sort of yeah, you know right.
2: just magical immune system. That'd be great. Uh, the thing that's kind of well, there's a couple things that's nutty about it. The first five games, so like inclusive of Arizona, Arizona tried out a defensive changeup in their defensive strategy. They played a seven defensive back, you know, system. Actually, Arizona kind of stuck with it against a couple of other teams. They used it against USC. They used it against Wazoo. They even used it against Colorado and on certain like passing downs against Oregon State. And so it sort of like took away a lot of like explosive, like deep play aspects of, of Washington passing game and sort of made them more of a horizontal passing team but it didn't affect Penix's accuracy like his act he was still completing 75 percent of his passes just like the the previous four weeks and you know was still passing for for you know about 360 yards which like Yeah, that's, you know, pretty much on target for what he should be, you know, doing against power five defense, you know, uh, it it's, but then the rest of the season, you know, it's, it's around 60% accuracy, except of course, when they played USC, which again, you know, playing an Alex Grinch defense just seems to <laughs> you
0: know, it's like it's a visit <laughs> nothing from nothing Dr. Field you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: um, anyway, so that's sort of like number one is that it's it's a it's a persistent drop in in just his well, it's it's the, the accuracy of the passing, but of course it takes two to tango, right? Like it's both the passer and the receiver. And so like that, that's sort of something, a larger conversation that I want to have with you Roman about like, cause there's potentially other things going on. So like overall, I guess what I'll say, I track a couple of different stats like I I I don't really think accuracy is the end-all be-all or even really a fantastic stat to track I track so efficiency is one of the track stats that I track so that's like given the down and distance did you get enough yards to stay ahead of the sticks efficiency in the first six games for Washington in the passing offense is pretty good it's about 59 percent but the yards for per pass attempt is fantastic. It's 10.3, which is that, that's an amazing number. And the explosive passing rate is phenomenal. It's like about 24%. And that's with Oregon and Arizona sort of putting the kibosh on it. Um, Like it was in the first four weeks, it was like above 30%, which is just, uh, yeah. Yeah, like I mean, just uh, incredible, right? Last six weeks, it's all of those numbers just take huge hits. It's a, it's it's more than a ten percentage point drop in efficiency, down to forty nine percent, actually below water in efficiency. It's a a three yard uh, per pass attempt drop uh, to seven point three, making them pretty much an average passing team over the last six weeks. Although, and here's the interesting thing, it they drop in explosiveness, but they only. drop drop by about four percentage points, but that just drops them down to 20%, which is still a a really phenomenal number. It's still the same passing offense. In fact, the funny thing about it is those numbers that I just read off 49% efficiency, uh, 7.3 yards per attempt and 20% uh, uh, explosiveness. Those are their 2022 passing numbers. Right. It's like they just became the 2022 team again where they were somewhat inefficient because there were so many throwaways. Cause like that, that's the other thing about Penix is that he's, he's pretty comfortable throwing away the, the ball, you know? So whatever there's pressure getting through, whatever, I don't care. Like I'm fine throwing the ball on third and long. So like that's sort of been the interesting thing to me is that I think that there's sort of a bit more going on than just Penix has a physical ailment and on some of his passes, he's inaccurate because number one, it's not all of his passes. He still throws a pretty gorgeous ball on a lot of his passes. Number two, there's something weird going wrong with his wide receiver core. Like a lot of his receivers have been sort of in and out. And some of the guys have been dropping balls at like a somewhat elevated rate. It's not like through the roof or anything. It's it's about like one more drop per game than they were doing in the first six weeks and like polk for example hasn't caught a pass in like three weeks and then the third factor and we can talk about these in any order you prefer but like the third factor is they had a, a, a yet another change to the offensive line where they had to switch out their right guard gear and hatchet and even he was so i want to like, start right there okay that's so fine let,
1: let's start there be- because Julius Bulow was was the starting guard, he, the the switch was so so Julius Bulow was the starting guard to open the year after a couple of uh, injuries, where you know especially after Mateo Melee was lost for the year, uh, another guy who we don't really end up talking about because he was lost for the season started his guard MLR, where I believe he right. actually would have started left guard for this team.
2: I th- I think you're probably right about that.
1: Yeah. The the depth along the interior has been really tested all season long. And then Julius got hurt against Michigan state. He had a high ankle sprain that kept him out for a while. Uh, He was suited up against both Oregon and Arizona state, but didn't play a snap in either of those games the first time around where it kind of felt like it was in a case of emergency kind of thing. So I don't, I don't know if the switching out is the right term to use more as a getting back into the lineup.
2: Do you think that What's your opinion about Bulo versus Hatchet, or the older Hatchet? His younger brother is also on the team, but we haven't seen Landon. I think. Yes.
1: We, we so he's we actually Landon has burned his red shirt. He just hasn't really played oh. a ton. Yeah yeah he he plays like a couple of snaps a game and is has, has looked really good in spurts he, the only game where he really had a lot of trouble was the, the Arizona State game where there were there were yeah. a couple of the shuffles that needed to be made and he got yeah, overwhelmed yeah. as a as a true freshman center but outside of that um the 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 biggest difference between Julius and and Gearen is Guerin is more of a a He's a much better run blocker whereas Julius being a six foot nine guard doesn't really ever have the leverage that. You yeah, want. I know. The, I, the, I mean, that dude easy. should
2: be playing tackle. It's kind of weird that they have him playing guard.
1: Yeah, it's it's more because, you know, when, when you look at guys like Troy Fabtano and Roger Rosengarten, who've just been yeah. absolute studs the last couple of years, you can't really necessarily kick, kick either of them inside at this point. But then uh, Julius, he's a really, really good pass protector, especially when you're able to put a body like that at guard. He's got really long arms and is able to just really help out along the interior there. So that's I think that's the biggest difference between those
2: two guys. So you're you're happy with Bulo back in the lineup?
1: Definitely. He 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 provides more than. Uh, just just more of what you want in terms of what uh, Scott Huff and especially what Ryan Grubb is looking for in terms of the pass protection. He just adds a little bit more and kind of frees up Parker Brailsford, the center, who's really done a spectacular job all season long to just kind of do a little bit more helping when needed.
2: I have to say I, I am impressed with I'm going to put a pin in the the Beulah hatchet thing for a second. Brailsford is interesting. You know, he, as you say, he was sort of forced into the into the job because of melee uh getting hurt. And then even then, I don't think that melee was their plan A. I think Morale was probably their plan A, but then he transferred out. I think he sort of got That's sick incorrect. Of waiting. Really? That's incorrect. Yeah. Uh Parker. What do you think the story with Morale was? Morale just
1: was not ever what he was really hyped up to be on the recruiting trail. And yeah, just sadly enough. never really pressed and came around the way that he was expected to. Whereas uh-huh. Parker, after just having to, you know, miss the majority of last year with a knee injury, he straight up came in and won the job at right guard. He was spectacular
2: throughout fall you camp. That, and you're, you're saying that you think that Brailsford was actually the, was their a choice and that he just wasn't available at the beginning of the year at center? Yeah.
1: No, so Melee was playing A at center. Parker won the job at right guard. And then once Melee got hurt, because Parker was recruited as a center. Uh, And that Mm -hmm. that was, so after Mateo was, since before he he had the season ending injury, the plan was for Mateo to play center this year, Parker to play right guard, and then for Parker to slide over to center next Mm -hmm. year. And then that's just kind of happened sooner than intended uh, w- because of all the injuries but Parker because uh, there was a competition especially after guard got hurt a competition between Nate Coleppo Julius Bulo and Parker Brailsford for the two guard spots and Parker won the job by such a landslide that they gave him the right guard position and then put the dreaded or on the left guard spot between mm. Bulo and Coleppo
2: yeah I mean it, in terms of techno, I mean I I have been grading all of those guys since they got on campus. I I charted literally every snap that they've taken uh, outside of garbage time. uh, uh, And I differentiate, you know, rush versus pass as a, as a matter of like technical soundness, you're right. Brailsford blows them all away. His technical upside is much better than any of the other guys that they've had, uh, including Melee. I've actually never really been impressed with Melee, to be perfectly honest with you. The thing is, he's just too young right now. Like he's he's just a little undersized, but like, hey, that's what the training table is for. And he sort of got thrust into this position due to all those injuries. And like, I really do think in the future, like when he bulks up a little bit more and he really fills in for the role. Like he's going to be a pretty, you know, damn good, you know, whatever position. Whether it's he's going to continue being center or or back to guard or whatever. Like I actually think he's got a pretty bright future. Now, having said that, he's also the guy simply because of his size who has on my tally sheet the lowest rush blocking grade. You know, but sort of because of course he does. Like that's you know what happens when you know you. I think he's what about two eighty something like that. Two eighty five, I think is is what I yeah. have him listed now. Yeah it's just i mean it's just a matter of physics you know it's just you know it's that's going to happen sometimes but like i really do think just like as as like a technical like when i watch his footwork like and and just like knowing what his assignment is and some of the more complicated you know blocking schemes like yeah no yeah, i mean and one of the reasons i sort of you may have heard it in my voice expressing a little surprise like was terrible in, in run, in run blocking in particular, in particular, like his technique is, is God awful. I mean, maybe it's because he's not supposed to be playing guard, um, you know, just his body. That's, uh, that's something he's
1: spoken as much about where he said that, yeah, it's more, it's more, he knows that he's not really a natural guard, but with some of the other guys that they have in the room, that's kind of where he's been asked to play. And we kind of saw it last year, right. Where Jackson Kirkland played mm-hmm. left guard for the most part, where he's not
2: necessarily a true yeah. guard
1: either but he was asked to i play really that thought position that. And, i
2: mean this is like kind of an irrelevant observation but like i really felt like they held on to kirkland too long and they should like they should have said goodbye to that guy and 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 some of the other guys too they held on to like this crew that they're playing with right now the i've forgotten how to pronounce his name already help me with the left tackle again troy Fautanu Fautanus, thank you. You know, the the Fautanu Kalepo, Bulo uh, Rosengarten crew, they had access to all four of those dudes in 2020. And, you know, I'm on record as saying they should have said goodbye to all the rest of those dudes and had those guys starting in 2020 in the scratch COVID year. And they, I think they would have been in a much stronger position for the following four years. And they probably wouldn't have had such a garbage line in 2021 if they had done that. So but that's instead a they, whole, they hung on discussion. to all those. I know it is. And frankly, we shouldn't have opened that can of worms. That's my bad. <laughs> let's, let's just stick with 2023. Uh, sure. You know, the situation that we've been seeing for the last couple of, of weeks where it's been Kaleppo at left guard Brailsford at center and Bulow at, at right guard that is the desired situation they're happy with that and it is unlikely to change on Friday is that what you're telling me Roman that's correct yeah that's that that's okay. that's, that's kind of
1: where they were because yeah and I we I can't really go back and change the past but yeah the that's that that's as good as it's going to get this season for the, the reason for that I asked there. you that
2: is that I saw on special teams that hatchet was playing again. And I wondered like, Oh, if he's available on Friday, are they going to make the switch back to him? Because no. uh, I got to tell you on my tally sheet, hatchet grades out better at right guard than Bulow does. And I was like, Hey, maybe, and you're saying, no, they're going to stick with Bulow?
1: No, uh, so Hatchet has missed the last couple of games with an ankle injury. He returned yeah. this past week, and you're right. He plays on special teams, and we, we might see him like get in there for a couple of snaps, but just from, from what I watched, I remember especially early on in the first matchup against Oregon, uh, Guerin just was – he got a little more overpowered by Brandon Doralus, and was, he was just kind of able to walk him mm-hmm. straight back, and that's something where – where I I talked a little bit about gear being a little bit better as a run blocker than he is as a pass protector, Mm -hmm. where some of that just comes from the system that he was in in high school and just, you know, uh, uh, you you open the can of worms with the uh because I, I can blame John Donovan for a whole lot of things that happened in this mm-hmm. offense let, let me let me tell you uh <laughs> but that was a big one where John Donovan's whole thing was we're going to bulk everybody up as much as we can and just run straight downhill mm-hmm. which is frustrating for a number of reasons that we won't get into because that's a whole separate 3 hour podcast uh but that's it's something where when we look at what Bulo brings to the table in terms of, especially what Ryan Grubb wants his offensive line to do, that's it's, it's way more uh, just kind of in Bulo's re- wheelhouse than, than it is in, in gear. Right. If this is a team that wanted to, you know, pound the ball 35 times a game downhill. We might be having a different discussion, but that's, that that's just kind of not, not the case with this. offense.
2: All right. Fair enough. So the, uh, you know, the reason we got on this uh, was trying to explain the 10 percentage point dip in passing game efficiency between the first six weeks or the first six games and the last six games. In my opinion, the least relevant factor was sort of the change up at offensive line. And it sounds like, if anything, you're saying they're in a better position with Bulo than with Hatchet in terms of pass blocking. So it sounds like you're saying, you know, none of it has to do with the offensive line. Do, do I have that right, Roman?
1: Uh, I mean, there, there was definitely a little bit where there, there was trouble at times, but especially if you look at the Utah and the Oregon State games, there weren't really a ton of pressure in that game. And that's because I, yeah. I know you asked about Jalen Polk. And that was kind of where I was yeah, well, I I know we, we we gotta jump around to whole different things, a uh, whole bunch of different things here. That was one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we talked about because yeah, Jalen Polk has really struggled over the last couple of games, whole bunch of drops, especially in the that just that monsoon down at Oregon State, where that was
2: that, that you oh, know what's man. really crazy about that? I was talking to because I did this process last week with uh with uh Jake Hedberg, who writes for Beaver Blitz. And uh he was at the game, and what he told me was was really interesting because I was just watching it on television and ESPN broadcast in 720. So it's kind of difficult to tell from the television, you know, like when it's, you know, when the rain is coming down and when it isn't. And what he was telling me was really interesting. He was saying that it was raining much harder at the beginning of the game and at the, towards the end of the game in like the fourth quarter. And so were you at the game too? No, I wasn't. I was talking to somebody the other day
1: who was down on the field, taking photos and everything. And he was telling me, man, by halftime, my, my pockets had puddles. Like it was, it was that kind of day. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> but what Jake was telling me, and, and I subsequently had this like confirmed by a couple other people who were at the game that like that by the, like the mid third and then throughout the fourth quarter, it was down to just, you know, a little speckle of drizzle, which like, Hey, Northwesterners know what that's like. It's basically nothing at all. Um, and and the, the weird thing is, you know, from tracking Penix's like accuracy, he was better when it was raining than when it wasn't like and so like i don't like i i definitely think you know th- hey the the rain and the wet balls yeah like it probably affected the game like it definitely affected oregon state i can tell you that which like i don't know why oregon state wouldn't be prepared for the rain but mm, you would think it would give them an advantage uh anyway because they're the beavers anyway the uh that's what's crazy is that it doesn't tr- like like Penix's accuracy, or the, the the balls that are like most like head scratching, like what the hell, man! Like throw it into the stands, like where what was going on with that? Those happen at the times when there's the least amount of of, of moisture, and the times when right. he like looks the best is when there's the most amount of precipitation coming down, and so it's like, uh, this is like kind of a hard thing to line up in my brain. Uh, it's a bizarre world. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and then, and then Polk, of course, like, you know, like, I mean, he was dropping, I mean, th- some of the ones last week in the Apple cup, like, oh man, <laughs> I was like, there so were only, balls that were really like hitting two... in the hands. Right. Yeah, and that
1: was the frustrating thing where you, where you you can tell it's sort of mental at that point. And that's something that Ryan yeah. talked about in his press conference it's like this yip, week. And he know? also... Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, and that's also something you talked about last week where, uh, after the, he, in the, the Monday following the Oregon state game, he said, yeah, that was the worst half of football we've played all season long talking about that second half. And so yeah. for whatever reason that might've been, and I think that one of the things that made it sort of tough is a guy we haven't really talked about on this, on the show yet today is Jalen McMillan mm-hmm. where Jalen McMillan has been in and out of the lineup for the last couple of months, dealing with a knee injury. And so he returned like he returned against Oregon and Stanford had to go out early where it suffered a setback came back against Utah, kind of got his feet wet, only played six snaps and then came back against Oregon state played 32 snaps only had, uh, I believe two targets on the day. One yeah. of them was, was a drop that kind of went straight through his hands on a really tough ball to get him really his first. Yeah. He yeah. was, months.
2: it was really highly placed, which was, you know, yeah. like that's what you're going to ask him to catch on like his first time back in like three weeks. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Right. So that that alone was hard enough for him, but kind of not necessarily having a ton of those options is really tough. And something I wrote about over on Inside the Huskies earlier this week is that this is just the second time this season Michael Penix will have his full complement of what should have been his top six receivers all season long. Because mm-hmm. one guy that um, that scored against Oregon in the first game is Giles Jackson. Giles Jackson's missed a lot of time this year with a thumb injury and then a couple yeah. other things that kept him out for in, in spurts. So this is only the second time this year we're going to be seeing that. And I'm kind of really curious what a a full complement is going to look like, because the first one was that Oregon State game in the rain. So this right. is it, it's 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 really interesting just to kind of say, oh, yeah, we haven't really seen this this arsenal all season long. What is what does this actually look like?
2: I mean, of course, you you, you literally can't put all six of them on the field simultaneously. The, the rules don't let you Ryan do Grubb find I mean, a way. I- let me tell you. I mean, I guess you could put, you could dress them in one of them in a non-eligible jersey, but then he's non-eligible. I mean, but it's like, they've had Jalen Polk for for all this time. He just can't catch a pass. I I guess like that is an interesting point. I think all those guys are pretty good. Like, I think that Jeremy Bernard is a good receiver that they've never not had Roma Dunze and who's a great receiver. They've also like the seventh dude, Jack Westover, they've never not had, you know, too. like, I don't, I'm not sure that I buy the explanation that, that Penix is ever been hurting for dudes to throw to no it's not I, I necessarily think... that though
1: it's there's a certain point where i i've been a little bit confused with the play calling at times where it's okay this isn't hitting for whatever reason for for whatever whatever the reason might be that something was not working there seems to be this uh and and it's a coaching thing right it starts at the top It starts with, starts with brian Grubb, and he's talked about as much where there have been certain times where he just seems like he doesn't want to run the football and mm-hmm. like when I, I feel like one of the best examples of that is the two drives in the first matchup against Oregon where the Huskies had just taken a, a two score lead. And then all of a sudden it's three and out, three and out. And Michael Panix went 0 for six on those where it's OK. Well, you're, you're not going to mix in a run at any point here. And there it, it becomes a point as whatever, whatever the explanation is, it's it's just confusing at best is the way that I would put it.
2: Well, I mean, they're. Their rush success rates are are heavily dependent on the down and distance. I mean, like they're they're pretty good in short yardage. They're just not particularly successful on first and ten when they run the ball.
1: Right, but in the in the same vein, and this is this is including the USC game. So, but the the numbers are still yeah. some uh, somewhat impressive. But Dylan Johnson in Washington's four matchup ranked opponents, this season, he's averaging twenty one carries and one hundred and thirty seven yards on the ground
2: yeah but like last week against uh, against like wazoo i mean it was like it it was nothing but yakko stuff like it was like you know he's he's running into contact for like two you know after two yards and then just sort of like muscling for another two like that was the extent of the run game and like wazoo's not a good rush defense like and and i don't know if that's like ryan grubbs play calling whatever but like man, I really just, it's sort of like, you know, what Josh Pate said about like, uh, you know, Utah finding, like did Utah find its offense or did Utah just find USC? Like I sort of feel like, man, you just played USC. Like, <laughs> man, I, as really like the, I, I, I don't buy that explanation. Like I really did. Like I think why pretty much had the correct answer to to wa- Washington's run game, which is that like, it, it, it's a short yardage conversion factory and, 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 like, and it's useful to them in the red zone, but like, that's it. Like this, this offense is, is bread. It's buttered in the passing game. And I, I think, I think they know that like, I...
1: so you're right. It, it is a pass first offense, but one of the one of the things about it, and especially I, it's this is also just a, a very interesting note that Ryan Grove threw out there on Monday was that he said at halftime that Wazoo had his calls, not sh- mm. not sure how it happened, didn't didn't accuse them of any, any sort of counter stallions mm. thing, which, you know, is another thing I, I'd love to just make fun of as much as I possibly can. Yeah, but, who wouldn't? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. But uh, I, so I, I think that's something where it's a, it's interesting to think about that, but um, and these are, these are just kind of the reality of what's going on at Washington. Dylan Johnson was also kind of playing
2: hurt in that game
1: where yeah, he, heard he, the, that.
2: did somebody like step on his foot or something like that?
1: Yeah. So in the, they, they didn't really say when it happened, but if you kind of just look at, When it might have, it seems like it was some point in the middle of the fourth quarter against Oregon State where he got, yeah, he got cleated. Somebody stepped right on his foot and he was actually in a walking group for a couple of days. And there were a lot of people thinking that he might not play in that game against Washington State. And there were certain Mm -hmm. times on the sideline where you kind of see that it was bothering him a little bit. And I don't know if that was just kind of this thing of, I don't feel that I can outrun anybody right now. And I just kind of want to go through you because that kid can, he can, he's really powerful. And if he gets his shoulder into you, you're, you're going backwards for a yard or two. So I kind of think that that was a little bit on, on him, just in terms of, this is the way that I feel I can succeed today.
2: Last question that I have for you about the offense. What's your opinion about uh, running backs, Nixon versus Rogers?
1: they 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 have very different skill sets where i think that will nixon can add a little bit of you know, flare outside the tackles every now and again. the the thing the one of the the other injuries that um hasn't really been talked about because it was a preseason thing is that Cameron Davis was done for yeah. the year with about a week left in training camp too because this was a my money. To be a I, lot I've longer. thought
2: for years that Cam Davis is the best running back that they had. I know he had sort of a, a oh, fumble I, issue, but just like the complete package of like speed, power, like knowing which gaps to hit, like, yeah, I really thought that was a big deal actually. Oh, I'm totally with you. I'm
1: a, I'm a big Cam Davis guy. And it felt like that it was going to be a very similar situation to what it was last year when it was Wayne Talapapa and Cam Davis kind of splitting everything with, uh, with Dylan Johnson. So then asking Dylan Johnson to shoulder the load has been a really big deal where will Nixon is, he's an impressive pass catcher. He uh, obviously was recruited to play wide receiver when he was at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So that that's something where I, it, it feels like he has a very different skill set. And then Tybo is a guy I'm super duper high on. He's uh, the, the, so there are three freshmen that, that have burned their red shirt. We talked about Landon Hatchet. I know we'll get into the third one when we get to the defensive side. Tybo is the second one, where I don't think he was originally supposed to have this kind of role this year. I know they really liked him and that they were super high on him throughout fall camp. But once the, the, the Camp Davis injury happened, they're... Uh, he just kind of needed to assume a bigger role. And we kind of saw it for the first time at Michigan state. We've seen him in spurts. Obviously they trust him enough to use him on that, that weird play, uh, halfway through the fourth quarter on the goal line against Oregon, Mm -hmm. where there, there have been a lot of spurts where I think that Tybo is, he has a very, very bright future ahead of him and kind of depending on. Cam Davis's health next year and what he might decide to do, plus the transfer portal, I think that we could see him step into a much larger role with this team next season. So I'm very high on especially what about on going Friday, forward. Though? On Friday, I I it's I don't I don't think that they're gonna have too huge of a role. I'm I'm sure we might see five to ten snaps for each of them, just kind of depending on the situation. But it's it's going to mainly be the Dylan Johnson show as it has been for the majority of the season.
2: All right. Let's switch over and talk about the defense. I Let's see. I'm going to start with the defensive tackles. Um, so uh, for several years now, I've thought that Lutuli and Gasanoa has been their most talented defensive player like period. Um well since their NFL corners went to the NFL. Um, I I I really like that guy like quite a bit. Um and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I think he blows out of the water every other defensive tackle uh on the roster, in that his like he's actually able to use his size uh productively, like he's not just a big guy and that's it. Like he he's actually like devastating. Unfortunately, Uh, I haven't really seen that much of him in the last couple of weeks. It seemed like he was on a a real pitch count against Oregon State. I only tallied him in on a a third of all snaps, although, you know, you want to know something crazy? He had uh, uh, over a 94% uh, success rate on the snaps that he was in, meaning like er every time he went up against an Oregon State offensive lineman like you know, it was like one failure and 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 like fourteen wins. <laughs> like I mean, he's, he was destroying- he's so
1: impressive in the, in the run yeah. game. So I yeah. I love Thule. Tully is a fantastic run defender. And we can get into some of like the nuances of some of the other guys, the position, because one, one dude that I'm really high on is uh sophomore Javon Parker and his twin brother, actually, who hasn't seen the field yet. Redshirt freshman, yeah, uh, know, Parker. a couple of guys, if, if
2: every Washington person tells me about these guys. And then I never see them. And I'm just like, what are you seeing? So one of
1: them is coming off. An, one of them is coming off an ACL. The uh, Armand is coming off an ACL tear and uh-huh. they're kind of just really handling him very carefully. That's kind of the thing there. And then they have so many uh experienced bodies i'm actually expecting uh because two of them are out of eligibility and it seems like one might grad transfer they might be losing mm. three defensive tackles after this season so it's kind of a all right these are our older guys in the room let's get them while we got them because there was a, there was a point where javon he was getting 14 15 snaps a game and he was one of the highest graded uh defensive tackles in the conference on pro football focus which i know mm. is a narrative fitting site but uh mm. that's that's something that I, I was really impressed with him last year when because they asked him to do a lot, especially in terms of some of the injuries that they had. But let's let's go through the list. So Tooley, you're right that he's been on a pitch count, he's been dealing with kind of a calf. I thing didn't and then and then in the, the Apple
2: Cup, I didn't see him until the very last drive of the game. And it, it yeah, was funny, so that, he was the that one, was the one who got thing. arguably like the game winning uh holding call. Because because right. I mean, he's the one who broke through the line and got that holding call, like which set Wazoo back, and then they couldn't convert, and that was that. You know, they they didn't score, and Washington did. Like, and it was because of right. Julie, you and know. That, like, oh, absolutely.
1: But that was more of a game plan thing than it was anything else. Where they kind of talked about that, especially when when they uh, when UW went down to USC to play Kale uh, Williams and the Trojans, where. Thule was still out there. He played 15, 20 snaps in that game, or something like that. But the, the coaching staff has talked about, like, yeah, that's not his game, chasing around somebody like Caleb Williams or Cam Ward. And so they definitely wanted to keep him safe and keep him healthy for this game, obviously, having their punch their ticket after the, the Oregon State game. But um, it was also just a product of the def- defensive line that they threw out there for the majority of the game. Is one thing that I wanted to talk about with you guys where Braylon Trice and Zion Tupolo Fatui on the edges. Mm-hmm. Have had their moments, especially Braylon tries That dude can just play with the best of them. Uh but then on the interior, they were using two other edge rushers. using uh Voy who's mm-hmm. a converted defensive tackle. They moved him out to the edge just because he's yeah. a little bit undersized and they felt that he might yeah, be he's, in there. Tanufi is
2: really, really interesting. please please continue. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think he's a fascinating dude. But keep going. Yeah, no, so so Voy
1: and he he put a spin move on a guard at one point in that yeah. game that mm-hmm. was just it, it looked I, like Dwayne I know exactly I was, the play that you're talking about. I, yeah, that was absolutely wild. So I love watching him in there. And then the other guy that they put in there is the third the third freshman who's burned his red shirt, and that's true freshman Jacob Lane. Jacob mm-hmm. Lane is somebody who was um the, if if you want to like talk about recruiting, the one guy that he reminds you of a lot uh, when especially when he was coming out at Hazen is Joe Tryon big, super athletic guy, six foot five, 250 pounds, super long arms, where they were kind of using what William Inge called their turbo package up front, where it Mm -hmm. was just this four edge set. uh, Mm -hmm. And it was just really just used for contain more, more than anything else. And it got some pressure, but it was because that was Washington's most successful game of the year in terms of defending a dual threat quarterback where if you take away the sacks, Cam Ward had six rushing attempts for, I believe, 19 yards. So it wasn't necessarily what we're used to seeing UW give up on the ground in terms of uh, rushing quarterbacks. So that was something where I was really intrigued by that. And a lot of credit goes to guys like Voy and Jacob Lane who are able to just, you know, kind of sit back a little bit sometimes and just utilize their speed instead of letting Cam Ward get around the edge and kind of keep them in the
2: pocket. So you're saying that I definitely noticed that too. I, I definitely think uh, if he is a very interesting player because he's like he's kind of a tweener in that he like he's a little too small to play uh, like a traditional defensive tackle, and he's a little too big to play in like a traditional edge rusher, and so they kind of have him play both like situationally. Yes, and then I also yeah I noticed uh, Lane, you know, the true freshman, which is interesting because you know I've got him penciled in you know, I I think his future lies as an edge rusher. And so it was interesting to watch him play on the interior of the two four defense. Um, and, uh, you know, and and yeah, I sort of figured that was about like containing, you know, cam Ward. you know, but, but I also sort of figured it's because I, 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 I just sort of think that this defensive tackle room is too, I mean, sort of, you know, as I was saying before we started recording, like I, I wrote my preview article about Washington and I just sort of think this defensive line room is too small. I don't mean like the bodies are too small. They're really big bodies, but like, there's not enough of them. Like, um, like, uh, uh, you know, because like they, they only took one freshman, Ellen Ace Davis, uh, Pehopa. So they Fumata actually transfer. took two. Oh, who's the other uh, one? The,
1: so Anthony James, who came in as 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 an edge rusher, oh, the plan was always. I had him penciled
2: always, in as an end.
1: Yeah, so he's so he was uh, that that was kind of you know what what he was listed at, but the plan was always just to kind of get him to defensive tackle eventually. Be, oh, I Just see. because of his frame more than anything else. So that's actually what oh, he's I working could on see that. Right now, so yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay, I could see that. I mean, he's a little too tall for it. Like uh, sort of at six five, I mean him and in, in lane both, but that's sort of again why I thought, you know like you don't really see a whole lot of like six five tackles in a two down system because I don't know. Um, a- anyway, like I the, the guys that they they have are you know Latulian and Gasanoa. Ale is the other guy. He's he's a converted offensive lineman. That's another guy. He, he's 6'6". He's a converted offensive lineman. He definitely wins my like most improved award because like last year when he was, which was his first year converting over to the defensive line, like he um, like his technique was just terrible because it was because of course it was. He was new to the position. Like, oh, yeah, it takes a while neutral. to like learn right. the position. and like his technique is now not terrible. So like he definitely wins my <laughs> most improved award Um, and he's definitely like big. Um. I really feel like, uh, in my opinion, I don't know if you share this opinion, Roman, but like I feel like there's a pretty big fall off to Tuatelli and Bondis. Like Those guys are big, but I don't really think they use it very well. Um, and then like I basically don't see anybody else. Like I don't see the Parkers. I don't think there's anybody else in the roster. And so the only other dudes that I've ever seen have been what you just called, I think the turbo package dudes, you know, uh, you, to Newfie, lane and, and other dudes who are like, those guys aren't really, you know, they, they aren't really tackles, you know, uh, they, they're, right. they're, they're, got, they're like situational dudes. Um, and so, like, I'm sort of fast-forwarding to, or you know, the, this this game on Friday against Oregon where, like, guess what? Oregon does want to run the ball. And, and and they also, you know, are probably not going to have, you know, Bo Nix, you know, doing the Cam Ward thing. You know, it's not like he's an immobile quarterback or anything, but they're not, you know, Cam Ward, my God, like that dude wants to create everything out of the pocket, you know? And so I sort of understand what you're yep. saying about that. Like, I don't really think that that's Bo Nix's game, though. Like, you, you're, you're going to want to, you know, if you want to stop Oregon and you need to stop Bucky Irving and Jordan James and you need to, you know, get, get some, some pocket pressure. And so that, you know, that's probably, you know, that's probably if he's healthy, Lutuli and Gasanoa in Ulamo Ali's game. And I wasn't seeing those guys that much. And are you telling me those guys are going to be available Friday?
1: Yeah, definitely. So those guys will definitely be available. And I'm, I, so let's, we can go through, uh, just guy by guy really quickly because I, All right, I don't want to spend too long on each of them. Do it. So let's start with, with Tuli. Tooley is definitely, he's just kind of converted into being more of a pure run stuffer where he can get after the quarterback at times. He's probably the most impactful in terms of getting after the quarterback from the interior on this team. I'm glad you talked about Ollie the way that you did, because that was my view of him as well, where they saw a lot of more, a lot more potential in him on the defensive side of the ball. He's done a really good job of making that switch. And you're right. It's, it's a very difficult transition. And I've, I'm impressed that he's you know, kind of come along as quickly as he has over the course of just, you know, after one full season there um, last year. So that was, that's a guy where he's, he's done a really good job. And there are times where I've seen him get into the backfield really, really quickly. It just happens very infrequently. So when, if he can do it at a consistent basis, who, that, that, that could be an absolute game record, but it being so just young into his time as a, as a defensive tackle, uh, that's, you know, it kind of is what it is there. And then we can talk about guys like, I, I love thought to I think he's really, really talented, but we've only really seen it in spurts. There was one really great series that he had against Wazoo, where the the, mm-hmm. the first down play he made a nice solo tackle, and then second down yeah. he uh, bats down a pass, and that was kind of what he was promised as as a high school recruit. And you know, there's there are a lot of injuries there where, that have kind of derailed his career, which has been a, a real bummer to see because that guy has all-world potential if he can stay healthy, in my opinion. We just have never really seen it put together for a full season. Jacob Bandis has been in and out of the, the rotation. He's he's come along late. It, it felt like it took him a while to develop because we didn't really see him a ton in 2020 or 2021. And it just kind of, once we, when when he we, he kind of did hit the field in 2022, it's a bit of a shocker. It was, oh, hey, there's Jacob Bandis. He's he's made his way into oh, the rotation. Oh, yeah, that guy's
2: still on the team. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right,
1: right where I, I, I like him a lot. And I, I think that he was another super highly rated recruit coming out of, of oh, yeah. Pittsburgh in California, where it just, it never really clicked for him in the way that, you know, some, a lot of people kind of expected that it would for one reason or another. So he's somebody where you can, there you can kind of see why he's still around. He's a big enough body. He's hard to move sometimes in run support, but he's, he never just kind of goes above and beyond, I would say, in terms of what he can do sometimes. And then the Parkers talked a little bit about them. Armand, he hasn't seen his first game action just yet. I don't expect that to be on Friday. But he's somebody who I'm really, really high on going forward. Because Tim and his brother, um, coming out of Fordham in Michigan, they, they were both three-star recruits. Armand was actually the, the somewhat higher-touted recruit compared to Javon. And then Armand, right before he signed at Washington, actually, he suffered an ACL injury. So that kept him out all of last season. Uh, and then they've kind of worked him back into the rotation this year. But as I said a little bit earlier, uh, it sounds like because Thule and um, Ale are both out of eligibility after this season. Right. And the way that Jacob bandis has kind of talked, it sounds like he... Will probably end up grad transferring, just uh, just from from some of the comments that he made. I I, I hate speculating, but I'm just kind of going off of of quotes mm-hmm. at this point. So getting, I, I feel we're going to see a lot of change up front uh, along the defensive line. I think that they're going to take at, at least one or two transfers, and then they've got right now five bodies along the defensive line in the 2024 recruiting class. And from some of those kids that I've talked to. Uh, from articles for whatever else they've all been sold on the possibility of early playing time. So Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of those guys come in and maybe not burn their red shirt or anything like that, because that's never what you want to do with a full class of defensive linemen. But I, I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw them come in and just, you know, play a little bit early on and just kind of see what they have in some of those
2: dudes. That's uh, that's interesting. I I will keep that in mind for the future uh, because we're going to Washington or keep, are going to play, you know, for as far as I'm aware for the Big Ten schedule, it's going to be an annual game. So uh, good to know. For Friday, you're telling me that uh and Gasanoa and Ale, even though I, I barely saw Lutuli and Gasanoa and only a little bit of Ale, I I mean, I saw less of Ale than I saw of Tuatelli and Bondus, and I would... For the rest of the season, I would have called Ale the starter and Tuatali and Bondus, you know, the second line. And so it was weird for me to see less of Ale. And so therefore, I thought, oh, he's hurt and on a pitch count, just like Thule was uh, against Oregon State. You're saying, no, "No, you've got that wrong, Hith. They're 100%. And I'm that's exactly what I'm saying. You're 100% wrong. All right. That's fine. (laughs) I I want you to tell me when I'm 100% wrong. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. I I I could absolutely do that. Please, please do. It's why you're here. Uh so I should expect to see on Friday uh starting defensive tackles Latulyenga Sanoa and Ale, uh second line Tuatelli and Bondus, and then maybe in some situational stuff, uh to Nufi and Lane.
1: Yeah, I think that uh uh, Tanufi and Lane are going to play a decent amount. You're going to see some Javon Parker in there too, but yeah, you're okay. definitely going to see Tuli and Ali play a lot. And then I, you might, it it just kind of depends on. It's all going to be situational from there, I think. But you're probably going to see more Tuitale than Bandis. And then yeah, once if if it gets into like third and long, that's when you'll see a lot of the Tanufi and Lane kind of package okay. in the middle there.
2: All right, now the the ends Trice and Tupelo Fatui. These guys were monsters along with Jeremiah Martin last year. That you know Martin's now with uh, undrafted free Aiden with the with the Browns. They also lost Savelle Smalls. No big loss there. But that's kind of all I've seen. Has been Trice and Tupelo Fatui. Uh, the the um, you know Tanufi actually interestingly grades out the best of all of them during the sort of interesting reps when he switches over and plays. And, uh, you know, I've seen a, a tiny little bit of number 46, uh, Asao Yes, FOA, um, yeah, Sakai, Afoa, yeah. yeah uh, uh holska you know, came off the bench as a redshirt freshman, got a sack last week. Um, uh, we, we've talked about lane a little bit. Um, but you know, pretty much, I even saw Maurice Himes, I think at one point. Um, but pretty much it's been the Trice and Tupou Tui show. Um, the weird thing is that their Havoc numbers are way down uh, compared to last year. Have you, first of all, before we go any further, have I said anything that I've gotten wrong about the ends?
1: No, you you got that all correct. I, I so I, I think that the one thing is, yeah, we see more with with Jacob Lane. I think he's, yeah, you, you're right. He's definitely an edge going forward, but he's kind of been just moved to defensive tackle in this spot just because of some of the other guys they have at edge.
2: Yeah yeah i I understand that but like kind of feels like they don't really have a lot of playable guys at edge so like why so why is that why why are they in that situation
1: so this is this is something where a a lot of that comes from the zach Durfee situation Mm -hmm. where zach Durfee is a transfer from sioux falls who is just a super impressive athletic guy uh he's supposed to, he was really was supposed to be the second stringer. And there was, there was even some talks about him maybe stealing a starting job. I don't, I don't know, you know, how much of that really would have ever come to fruition, but he was a super talented dude that has uh, been Tez Walker by the NCAA. I feel like that's the best term to use for that only because I'll, I'll, I'll take you guys, I'll give you the 32nd abbreviated version. Uh, Zach Durfee started his career as a student, not a not a not a football player, a student at North Dakota State, uh, somebody told him that he should walk onto the football team there. The football team told him they didn't have room, so he transferred to the University of Sioux Falls. Uh, shout out to Kalen DeBoer and his alma mater, where he redshirted there in 2021, played in 2022, and then transferred to Washington. And now the NCAA is saying he transferred twice even though one of those is as a student. So that's, you know, you can get into that, that discussion, but he was supposed to, it it felt like he was going to be a really, really big part of this rotation and was kind of going to fill that Jeremiah Martin role of just having a third, really, really good pass rusher because I like Sakai as a, um, just kind of an edge setting run defender kind of guy. Yeah. That's my read too. I agree with you. Yeah. So I, I think Lance Holtzclaw is going to be a really impressive player next season. I, I like him a lot. I'm, I'm really just kind of excited about what his future could be. I think Maurice Hines is going to see a big jump next year, too, in snaps. But yeah, a, a lot of that has just come from there being so many older, experienced guys in the room and then wanting to get Durfee into that mix. That was a, a bigger blow than I think people realize to this team
2: so the uh well that, that sort of explains sort of the personnel you know situation uh what i don't get is you know trice and tupelo fatui like their numbers even as recently as last year were significantly higher like and i'm not just talking about raw stats although the the raw stat fall off is Pretty significant. I, I mean, like in in, in you know, I, I I don't love going by raw stats, but like I I don't chart every team in the nation. I only chart the Pac-12. You know, raw stats nationally. Uh, you know, Washington is down to 1.58 uh, sacks per game, which is 112th nationally. They're down to 4.5 tackles per loss per game, which is 116th nationally. We're a top 30 team in both of those stats last year. Just sort of like and it's these guys and, you know, Jeremiah Martin loss is, is fairly significant, you know, but he wasn't all of it, you know, and, and like, you know, the, the number that I prefer is, uh, is sacks scrambles and throwaways per drop back, which I, you know, track through charting. And, uh, it, it was like a, a, pr- a, pretty, you know, excellent 32% on, on my tally sheet for them last year, it's down to, uh, only 17%, you know, almost like half, uh, uh, you know, uh, this year, I I don't get it. Like uh, Roman, do you have any insight as to you know that's why been the these guys one sort of like the
1: mystery. That's been the biggest mystery for for me. Just when, from what I've seen from this team this season, where the the there have been times where you know, especially when you talk about like PFF metrics, where it says, "Oh well, this guy got a certain amount of pressures." Usually, it's Braylon Trice. But I one of, one of the frustrating things that we saw a lot early on in the season, which has been corrected a little bit later on, is Zion Tupelo Fatui early on in the year was doing a really good job of jumping the snap and just trying mm-hmm. to get, get into the snap count and would just get upfield really, really quickly, but would allow a lane for the quarterback to step up and make a throw. So it didn't necessarily matter what else was going on if he just kind of missed. And the one of the biggest... Just most frustrating things that we've seen from this defense this year is the tackling. The tackling has not been sure and solid all season long. So it has been a lot of times where, even though it's like, oh oh looks like they got him here, no, we found a way to get out. There have been way too many of those this season, and I think that's where some of these things come from. And it's just it really is the one thing that's been truly mind boggling to me about this team is the fact that it sometimes it looks like they're getting there, and especially when you look at a guy like Braylon Trice who's going to be a day one pick come come April we haven't necessarily seen I mean, you nearly think as much he's of that still going
2: to be a day one pick he would have been that last year but I think he's played his way out of it
1: uh I I just from, from people that I've talked to and and just around the league where I think that he he still has that opportunity it depends on a lot of things in this draft class but I I think he absolutely still has the chance to go day one
2: all right I mean it's just like if you just look at his 2023 numbers like the that doesn't look like a day one pick and that, I no, mean, you're, that's you're, the mystery. And I guess right. you've you said, I mean, you've given me the answer, so I should quit badgering you. I'm sorry about that, but like, <laughs> it, you know, it's a mystery. It's like where to go, man. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I, you know, I wanted to know if you had some inside skinny about, like, oh, there's, a, you know, he was dealing with an injury or something like that, but he's all healed up now because you are, you already gave me a, a good dose of that with the tackles. So I thought maybe you had some 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 inside dirt about that. I, uh, I think, uh, the- Christ.
1: If you want to isolate Braylon, I think the biggest thing that, to just kind of talk about with him is there, there have been a, and I, I know this is something that you, we can have another, just our podcast. on when it to just yeah. referees, in the PAC 12, but <laughs> there have been just a frustrating amount of times where I'm looking at him on the field and he, and it looks like he's getting good pressure. And there's just somebody who has a by the throat. And it's like, what, where, where is the call here? There there have been a a weird amount of those with him this season where if if you isolate his tape, you will see, I think, a very similar player than what you did last to what you did last year. But for whatever reason, it just hasn't impacted the same because just for whatever else you want to look at along the defensive line just isn't necessarily doing what he's done at the same
2: rate. All right, let's talk about the linebackers. You know, I've been seeing basically four guys, uh, but I've been seeing who are Eddie Udelfuscio, Carson Bruner, uh, Raylan Goforth, and uh, Al Tupatala. Um, I've been seeing them in different ratios, uh, however, over the last six weeks of the season, like at the beginning of the year, I definitely would have described the starters as Ulufoshio and Tupatala. And then with like, uh, uh, go forth as the backup. And then I would like barely see Bruner at all, which I thought was a crying shame because like for three years, I've been pounding the drum for like Carson Bruner is the most technically sound linebacker that they've got and then it seems like somebody listened to the drum that i was pounding because the last couple of weeks i've been seeing <laughs> bruner a hell of a lot more um is there something going on like what what should i know about with the linebacker core yeah
1: so that's that's a good question so actually alfonso Chupitala got hurt and missed the oregon state oh. game yeah so he didn't but i, he, but I he didn't did play see that- him
2: a bit against against wazoo
1: yeah. So it was, it, it was, uh, it, it just seemed like a really minor thing that happened late in the week at practice. Cause we talked to oh. him that t- Tuesday and UW doesn't let players talk if they're injured. So whatever, it, uh-huh. it, whatever it was happened on like Wednesday or Thursday at practice. And it, it was just a minor thing that was because really like even none of us on the beat kind of found out about that until like an hour before game times. Oh, well, Tupital is not playing today. That's, that's interesting. Uh, And then Carson Bruner played out of his mind in that game. Jabbar Muhammad had the best uh, game out of anybody that day, but Carson Bruner was a very close second. He was really, really great. And then just had another fantastic day against Washington State, racked up 14 tackles, and just kind of turned to the player that a lot of people, a lot of recruiting guys kind of saw on film, even though he wasn't necessarily rated very highly. He showed a really good speed. He wrapped up and tackled and just kind of, added what this defense has been looking for and over the last two weeks just really hasn't looked back. And it does sound like he's going to end up starting over to Patala again on Friday.
2: I mean, that would have been my pick from the get-go like i i i have thought it's been clear for years that he's the most like instinctual and like he knows like yeah like in terms of the job of a linebacker is to read the play and to get there and like i mean he was leaving dudes in the dust like and and that I mean, honestly, that they got a dude who washed out from USC, and we were we're playing him ahead of Carson Bruner. Like, let me repeat that: a guy who wasn't good enough to play defense for Alex Grinch was playing ahead of Carson Brunner. It was like, did Bob Gregory sneak back into the room making personnel decisions? We don't we, we don't we don't need to talk about that gentleman right, right there. Right, I will say
1: right, that right. the the biggest thing the the biggest thing with Raylan Goforth is he actually uh, he he was a grad transfer from from USC. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's one thing where I, I mean, washing out with Alex Grinch. I mean, I, my, my, my favorite meme is right now. Maybe, maybe that
2: means like in after. a double negative, it means he's really good. You know, like if Alex Grinch. Yeah, exactly. But
1: um, so Raylan, Raylan was asked to be just mainly a run support linebacker on the short side of the field because he doesn't have Carson's speed necessarily, but there were just some, some packages where the coach, the coaching staff really seemed to like what he brings to the table. And there have been times where he's been pretty good, but Carson, to your point, Carson has been really really impressive and just keeps getting better as the year has gone along and uh, to to compare him to washington's other starting linebacker that's actually exactly what happened with uh eddie ufo back in 2019 where it was Mm -hmm. like hey this guy's really good kind of in spurts why isn't he on the field and then actually also against oregon state he made his first career start i just kind of didn't look back from there
2: the husky position funny that it's the Husky position is not named for being at Washington. It was called that at like three schools ago before it came over here. It's like a, just a weird coincidence.
1: Because I've I heard it called Star. I've heard it called a lot of different things. It's, I feel like they just wanted to make sure it was aptly named here.
2: Yeah, except, they, I mean, they were calling it that at, at Fresno, where if they were going to do that, they would have called it the bulldog position or anyway. That would have been really
1: fun. I would have appreciated that personally.
2: I, I actually I at one point i try, I went back into the annals and tried to figure out where it came from. I think it actually comes from Connecticut, but I could be wrong about that anyway, I've only seen Michelle Powell play that position at least over the last six weeks. I don't think I've seen anybody else in that position Have I missed somebody else at the husky spot
1: every every now and again they'll put Cameron Fabiculon in, in there he's been dealing with it with uh an injury so he's been kind of in and out of the lineup for Wait, the last couple of weeks who, but who, they, Cam? they, yeah. So okay. th- they put him there every now and again, but it mainly has been Mish in there, and okay. he's I've I've been really impressed with him because he I really I really like Mish. I think he's a really talented guy, but he didn't necessarily have the speed to to stick with some of the people that he was asked to guard when he was playing outside corner last year, so that move to Husky has done a whole lot for him, especially in terms of his his run fits there he's been really good coming off the edge and run support. And I think that it's just kind of, it doesn't ask him to do as much in space. And I've, I've been really happy just with what I've seen from him over the course of this season.
2: So part of that uh, uh, sort of switcheroo of the secondary, which happened compared to last year, was that Hampton and um, who had been, had been playing that Husky position, sort of a 50-50 switch off, both of those, those guys moved back to be the deep safeties. And then I had seen some other guys in the first part of the year, but in the second part of the year, I've really only seen one relief guy who's been number 24-S i haven't seen 28 nunley or number 20 turner like basically at all
1: yeah so ace is hurt yeah so ace is hurt there's actually a chance he plays this weekend uh it looks like he's been yeah kind of working his way back i i wouldn't be surprised if if, him being he didn't um i I, there's a chance he could return next season but he's been here a long time and i think he might want to uh just kind of see what's next. So I, I think that the the coaching staff is trying to find a way to get him to play. And then Vince Nunley has been dealing with some off field things where after the Oregon game, um, he didn't play for a couple of weeks and we, we kind of asked Kalen DeBoer about it. And he said, yeah, it's a kind of a personal thing. It doesn't have anything to do with an injury. We saw him play for a couple of weeks when the Huskies got really shorthanded. And then before the Oregon state game, uh, something else happened off the field where Kalen DeBoer didn't necessarily say if it was related to the same thing or kind of what was going on there, but that one is not injury related, but yeah, that's, that's really all like my, my, my full knowledge on the matter
2: there. And then have I missed anybody?
1: Not no no not not, a, okay. not off the top of my head. No, that's that's right. that's been the majority of it there, yeah.
2: And then the cornerbacks, it's the same guys, uh, you know, De- Devin Banks got hurt and I haven't seen him since, unfortunately. Yeah. He's done for the year. Yeah. That sucks. The only real change that I've noticed is that in the first part of the year, it was a relatively even three way rotation between Elijah Jackson and, uh, Mohammed Muhammad and, uh, and, and Thaddeus Dixon, uh, you know, number 25, number one and number nine. Um, but in the second part of the year, it's been much more dominated by just Jackson and Muhammad and, like, Dixon only comes in a little bit. Do I have that right? Uh, Not
1: completely, because Jabbar was brought in to be the starter on one side of the field. And he has done a really, really good job of that for the most part, all season long. Uh, He had had some trouble against Stanford, where there were a couple of really weird flags that were thrown on him that I I did not personally agree with. Um, But he... He has been the starter from day one and then the rotation has mainly been on the other side where they'll take Jabbar off for a breather every now and again. But for the most part, he's out there for at least ninety.
2: But the guy that they would put him. in when they took Muhammad out was Dixon. Like they didn't that, that's switch, they didn't switch Jackson over. Like that's what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So you're, you're correcting that. And that part. And then it's been a lot more Jackson as of late. Uh, Thaddeus, I, I actually, I'm really high on, on him and his future, especially. He just seems to fit the, the way they like to play man coverage. He just hasn't completely come along yet where he's a junior college guy. And from what I've seen from, from watching his tape last year, and then from what I've seen this year, he is, is a very physical corner and I really like that when, when I, when I look at cornerbacks, but his thing is he can be a little over aggressive at time and he gets uh, penalized a decent amount. So yep. it's it, it hasn't always been super advantageous to have them have him out there. And then there've been a couple times like on the Troy Franklin, where he just kind of missed a press and just didn't get any hands on Troy Franklin at all. And if he's able to do that, that's a uh, it's, that that looks like a very different play. But I think that that Thad is somebody that I'm really high on. I don't know how much you're going to end up seeing him in this game. But yeah, Elijah is somebody who has always been really promising. He's struggled with injuries. And then he's been, I I would call him hit or miss for for the majority of what I've seen this season.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it, It is interesting because sort of the structure of Washington's defense in for between the, in sort of the middle of the field defenders, I guess I'll call them the, 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 the safeties, the linebackers and the Husky is it's, it's a lot of zone and it is, I'm, I'm going to use the word soft. I don't mean soft, like you like, they're weak or whatever i i just mean that like it's sort of the opposite of alex grinch's hyper aggressive defense where they come flying at you and try to stop you from even getting a single yard it's more like i'm okay with you getting three yards but i'm not gonna let you you know you know, turn that into an explosive play. We're, we're going to keep it in front of us and, and make the tackle and, and force you to, to march down the field. Cause I'm betting that you're going to make a mistake. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, that's how I would describe, you know, most of those guys, you know, so it's a lot of zone and whatever, but when you get to the edges, you know, the sidelines of the defense and, and we're talking about the outside corners, like now nah, those guys are manning up, you know, like that's a lot of single coverage and they, they actually put like a lot of pressure on, you know, on Muhammad and Jackson and Dixon when he's in, you know, to, to play out on islands. Like it's just, that's sort of just the structure of this defense. And, uh, and yeah, you know, they, you're right. Like it's very, uh, it's, it's a lot of press. It's very aggressive and yeah, they do get penalized. Like this is one of the most penalized teams in the country. And like, because I chart it, like I, I don't have to just rely on what the stats, you know, the, to, the the total aggregate penalty stats are. I can break out with the, what the penalty stats are. And yeah, the, the lion's share of the penalty yards are defensive pass interference and defensive holding flags uh, because they're really aggressive, you know, and, and, and it will probably happen in this game that they will be flagged, you know, at least once, you know, it's just. The frustrating
1: thing when, when you look at the secondary sometimes is you're right. They they're asked to play a lot of press. They're asked to play a lot of man asked to do a lot of things like that. But at the same time, there are so many calls where it's third and two or whatever, or it's, 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 it's a short yarded situation and the corners are asked to play eight, nine yards off the ball. And I don't yeah. understand that at all. And that's, that's one of my, yeah. my biggest gripes with the, with the coaching staff and the defense. It's side just, the it's the
2: philosophy. I mean, like if that's going to drive you nuts, like you need to go to your therapist and get some good pills because you're going to be seeing that for a long time. <laughs> it's just, it's oh, their no, philosophy, you're right. man. Like uh, it, it's, it's not, I guess I'll, 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 if this helps you at all, it's not those guys screwing up. Like, no, you're right. It's not. They're being asked to do that because that's their, because they're doing the opposite. Like, uh, if this helps you at all, the opposite of that is doing the Alex Grinch thing. It's the like, come flying at them at a million miles an hour and try to blow them up so that they, they drop the ball and like, yeah, you'll get more, you know, maybe, you know, you'll limit that flat route to only three yards or maybe even get a pass breakup, you know, or you'll miss. And that guy will run down the sideline for 50 yards. And guess why Alex Grinch was given up a bunch of 50 yard passes, you know?
1: <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Cause at, at a, at a certain, at a, at a certain point in the conversation, it's a lose, lose, right. Where it's okay. Yeah. We got to You got to kind of pick your poison. I just, I think that there are too many times where you just see the play call that, uh, that court, that offensive coordinators are able to go to. And it's like, yeah, you could, you could see this coming from a mile away. Like yeah. there, there, there have to be just other calls on your sheet to be able to defend this is, is, is more my point than I, because that's, that's, you're, you're hundred percent right with what you're saying.
2: I mean, the, the thing that I, you know, do have criticism for in terms of execution from the secondary is tackling. Yeah. Because I do, you know, and you you already mentioned that. So, you know, I don't think I'm telling you anything that you haven't also caught. Yeah, I definitely see like, hey, you you got that guy square in your sights. You you need to wrap up and bring the guy down. And and like it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of yards after contact that the secondary gives up. I mean, I mean, even teams like Wazoo like last week, I mean it was just I was just doing the film study on it, where like there's a couple of runs where like you know, they don't really have a great run game. They put together several like 10 plus yard runs where they're like running through a defensive back. And it's like, come on guys, you know, like get, get, get back right. on the Peloton. You know, you need to beef up.
1: <laughs> and that's something where it's a, a lot of their corners are just somewhat undersized. Uh, and mm. that's, I, I feel, I feel like that's one of the frustrating things about it. And when it's something we talked about earlier with, when it comes back to the, the defensive line and putting that, you know, kind of speed pass rush first package out there that, um, you know, running, yeah, just running the ball is, is going to find a way to pick up yards at different, different points in time.
2: Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, you know, on my tally sheet, that's, you know, it it is the worst quadrant of football for for washington is rush efficiency defense uh you know if teams have the patience to run the ball at washington you know they, they can be successful uh at, at doing it it's just usually you know washington's passing offense is so good that they build up a lead and it's like you know what are you going to do run the ball at a team that's got a 14 point lead on you you know most teams you know are right. not in the position to take advantage of that but like if you if if you either have the 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 courage or you're in a score you know scoreboard situation where you can do that like you know you might be able to leverage that like uh you know it's it's one of the things that i am interested to see if Oregon can be in a position to do on friday uh you know sort of put him in a half nelson and keep him there for the rest of the game um i You know, if so, that could be pretty interesting. On the other hand, it's also an offense that sort of can can score in heartbeats.
0: Who knows? Yep.
1: (laughs) No, you're you're, you're absolutely right about all that.
0: We found that out earlier in the year and uh, time for round two. Roman Tomashoff of Locked on Huskies. been a great guest it was great talking to you and i'm glad maybe in the future you know since we're now i guess big just about big 10 schools uh we'll have you on to talk these huskies again that still sounds weird to me i don't know about you
1: does that mean you have to change the name back to quack 10 or Uh, what's going to be the whole the whole situation there
0: we, we thought it over, and basically we're staying the same because it's clear the number in your conference doesn't actually need to mean anything. It can just kind of be for Fair flair. enough. You know, it can, <laughs> it can refer to
2: the number unfair. of
0: beers that you
2: get and the that are necessary to listen to one of these podcasts.
0: Yeah, that's true. Twelve <laughs> usually will get you through one. Absolutely, uh, Roman. Though you've made this very <laughs> listenable, and I hope you um, enjoy as much of Friday as uh, uh, as you can. I I don't know. I, the, the opening
2: <laughs> festivities. I,
1: <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure the three of us will be in the same boat by by the time. Cameron oh starts, man, which is just bashing our heads into walls so i am i'm very excited about that part of it personally
0: absolutely i mean like i said at the top this is a huge game um it's gonna close out you know then we'll have like the sam malone from cheers turning off the lights of the pac-12 i guess um so someone's got to drive over to san francisco or wherever uh it's been great talking to you i do hope you enjoy yourself uh up until the game uh i yeah if you're going to anyone going to vegas I hope you have a great time as well. Roman, you've been a great guest. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, Day, we'll catch you next week. Take care, everybody. All right. Go Ducks and go Huskies,
1: I guess.